It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Well, hello. Look at you all smiles. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, hopefully you are as well. I know you're busy. You got lots of planning going on. That's right. World Bee Day, everything. Just, you know, it's the season two with beekeeping. I know you don't have a hive yet, but I've got... <laughs> you don't got to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> I've got 30 packages that I got a couple weeks and a half ago and I'm doing a banana study for my research project so I'm, I'm busy with that I've got all the other hundreds of colonies that we're managing for customers and it is they are all exploding because we're on a nectar flow most places so it's keeping me busy well I so there's so many things that I can address in that that <laughs> some of those hives are at your apiary by the way Oh, nice, nice. It's still alive. <laughs> the whole apiary is still yeah, going. We fine. lost a uh, couple of the Langstroth at the top of the hill. Um, but okay, most the of, very the back of the 40 acres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So the I haven't went and checked my swarm traps here yet. So last time I checked them was about a week ago, maybe. We had a day that got like really nice and toasty. So I went down there and looked. I did. Mom pointed out that um, I've, I did one of the comfort hives and I've used it as a swarm trap because I had in Austin, I had tried to get bees in there and I had caught a couple of swarms and put them in there and they started to draw a little bit of comb. Mm-hmm. And so I left that in there. So mm-hmm. we're going to see how that goes. But there was a bee actually checking it out, uh, the other day and Ooh. she pointed it out. She's like, Hey, there's a, there's a bee over there. And I asked her, we have a lot of little black Mason bees or uh, carpenter bees, not mason bees, carpenter bees, little black carpenter bees that are currently out looking for wood. And uh, I've been doing a lot of woodworking, so they've been very interested. <laughs> so, right, all but, that wood dust. Yeah, so I asked her, I said, what, you know, is it, was it an actual honeybee or a mason bee and she's, or a carpenter bee? And she's like, I'm not sure. So I went and looked, it was a honeybee, was checking it out. So that's some potential. Um, the nukes, I have not, even though I was told that there would be regular updates throughout the spring, I have not heard anything, which is par for the course with uh, with this individual. <laughs> with the area. So, yeah, with the whole area. So I went ahead and uh, reached out to her and asked, I was like, hey, just wanted to check and see like how things were coming along because she had originally said towards the end of April. And she responded back and again, you know, she hasn't bothered to to have a long enough conversation with me to even have any idea what I do and don't know or anything else. Right. Um, but she responded back and she was like, well, you know, it's it's going to be May, um, at least like mid-May at the earliest, the way things are going with these these rapid temperature fluctuations and the very wet spring, it, delete, it delays things, you know. And, and I was like, so I responded back and I said, well, I've got to make a trip out of state um, towards the end of this month. And you had originally said the end of this month. So I just wanted to make sure there wasn't going to be any scheduling conflicts. And then she responded back. She's like, oh, oh, OK, that. Yeah, no, no, no worries at all. It's definitely not going to be this month. And, you know, but I was like, I wanted to be like, well, you know, I'm reaching out because you said there'd be regular updates. And so far, I haven't heard anything from you since January. Right. <laughs> Maybe December. I'm not sure. <laughs> Whenever my last message to her was, was the last time I've heard right. anything from her. So, but yeah, I was like, okay, whatever. So we're just yeah. we'll get them eventually. Yep, yeah. Eventually there will be bees. They'll either move in or I'll, I'll finally get my nukes and we'll see how that goes. But, um, but I know what it is to get the itch. I know oh, yeah. that you're probably kind of like starting to, well, you know what? It is sunny out. It's warm out. Where are my bees? I know all the trees are blooming. That's what kills me is, is when I see flowers in the spring, I yes. remember, and I trust me for any beekeeper out there who's just getting started. We all know we've all gone through it. And I definitely went through it. The very first year that I was supposed to get my bees was a very wet year down there in central Texas. And it did cause delays. And I went on a couple of different road trips during that time through like March and April and the first part of May. 
and it was just solid wildflowers everywhere. And I was having these mini panic attacks that like, oh my God, like my bees are missing out on all this. And by the time <laughs> they finally get here, it's all going to be dead and gone. And like, I need them now, you know, like the oh, flowers are here cute. now. Yeah. So right now uh, we've had the, the first set of trees that bloomed down here were pears, uh, like ornamental pears, Bradford pears, things like that. And then the next set of trees that finally started coming along were the red buds and the red buds are all currently in bloom. Dogwoods are now starting to bloom. And there's a few other things that are starting to bloom that I can't identify, but all the trees are starting to be in bloom and there's bees oh, nice. everywhere. And, and so here I am again, I'm sitting here looking at all the flowers going, yeah, missing out on that one. Not going to get to taste what any of that is like, sorry. <laughs> Well, I don't know if you knew that, but I got my packages about two and a half weeks ago, almost three weeks ago. And packages, you need to feed them usually a quarter week or a quarter every five days, depending on how much they're taking. And these guys haven't been taking it because we've been on the nectar flow in my neighborhood since I got the packages. They've built um, all, some of them almost eight to nine bars in the mini tabar nukes. Wow, with no own. with no food from you. Wow. They would not, they said, no, thank you. We're good. That's impressive. That is very <laughs> impressive. <laughs> yes. Is that an issue from a banana study? Because they're not supposed to, they, they won't take the banana when they're on the nectar flow. So it's kind of skewing my numbers. So I'm gonna have to wait until the uh, summer dearth to continue my study. All right. So that that was the other thing that I was gonna unpack from your initial comment when you when you mentioned that. Um, it is probably, well, you haven't done your study yet, so we don't really know the results to it, but there's a bonus episode that Ken and I did, uh, a little while back. It is here on Patreon currently, I believe I have not actually deleted it yet. So from anybody on Patreon listening to us right now, go back and look for the it's bananas episode ah. where Ken and I go through and we, we hash out this whole craze of people putting bananas in their hives. And I didn't do any research on it. I just talked from like the y'all are freaking crazy standpoint. <laughs> so, um, but so that's out there and I'm, I'm going to be like, it was supposed to be released. And then we had the whole hard drive issue. It was going to be released out to everybody so they could hear it. I may just go into Patreon and just download the, the actual episode, the way it was, and then <laughs> turn around and, and put it out there for everybody. Um, also speaking about main episodes. So recording wise, Today, there was a new episode that came out, but listening wise for everybody who's like listening up to date on Patreon, it came out last Monday because <laughs> we're recording in advance. But right. the uh, you and I had a discussion about wax and the weight of wax and trying to figure out a formula to measure all of it and everything. So we released that out there on the main platform for everybody to see if anybody, you know, wants to be industrious and go out there and figure it out themselves and then let us know. <laughs> so that's if right. they want to take on that challenge, they can. So that's a new episode. Funny thing though, is that I posted a teaser that showed that there was something in the queue for a future release date. And I'm pretty sure everybody immediately jumped to, yes, the fourth season is starting. There's going to be regular <laughs> new episodes because people were sending messages back going like, welcome back to work. And I was like, um, not quite. We're easing into it. <laughs> Not quite there yet. Not quite there yet. We're getting there, but not quite there yet. Um, anyhow, so I think I think that's it for uh, all the little updates here. Well, do you, you have something else? Speak in my preliminary results over the last couple three weeks. It looks like the the I have fifteen that are not on bananas and fifteen that are on bananas. And from what I'm looking at my notes uh, week to week, comparing both, it looks like the ones that don't have bananas have more frames of brood. And are heavier actually also. Okay. So it's not finished, and we're on the nectar flow, so the banana is kind of irrelevant. Right. Uh, but it it kind of looks like giving them the banana is actually a that uh, an issue. <laughs> right. Well. Okay. So we can we can harp on this for a few moments longer because today's topic is is off topic, um, mm -hmm. which you'll you'll y'all figure that out there. I'm sure when you actually looked at the uh, <laughs> title of this episode, you were like, oh, I think I know what this is. You're wrong. Um, so anyhow, so the Keep banana thing, one of the, um, 
one of the things about bananas and one of the, the research things about it had talked about how, and I, you and I may have even discussed this at one point too, but I don't remember if it was on the show or just in a personal conversation, but some people had said that putting bananas inside the colonies was a way to alleviate chalk brood because of something in the banana. And I took the approach of, well, but you put anything inside the colony that's not supposed to be there and it kicks them into overdrive, especially if they're hygienic to try and clean out the colony. And now they're in the cleaning mode. So they just happen to also clean out all the chalk brood, you know, like, but was it because the banana itself helped or just because you put a foreign substance in there that caused them to do that. Um, And there's, there's lots of things that go back and forth that that was my standpoint on it. And I think I might've talked about it in the episode with Ken and I, but it was like, how do you know they actually ate it? You put it in there. Well, that's you my come point. Back, I was looking at it and it didn't look like they were eating it anyway. Right. You know, you come back two weeks later and it's gone and you're like, yay, they ate it and they're doing great. But did they, or did they oh, just no, chew that. it up, drag it out and spit it out because they that didn't be, want it in there. That could be hive trash. Yeah, that could exactly. Be, you know, um, they spend some, uh, some resources doing that, that they're not putting into building the colony. Yeah. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. And when you get more of uh, like further into this little research project, we can come back and have a deeper conversation and you can, you can help justify or prove me wrong on all of my little theories that were in that original episode. But if anybody's curious and they want to hear Ken and I bantering back and forth about it, go back to the bonus episodes here on Patreon and look for the one that says going bananas or it's bananas and uh and i will try to get that released on the main platform for everybody as well so um but it'll be out of context for them and they're going to be like what the hell why is this another bonus episode i thought the fourth season started (laughs) that's what happens that's fun so back to that uh the title of this episode is ticking time bomb and i would assume based on all of the other conversations that we've had on here and natural beekeeping things you're probably thinking mites and mite bombs and bees and no (laughs) isn't the first word that's right tick (laughs) if you take off the ing tick we are actually talking about the creepy ass little eight-legged vampires (laughs) that get on us and uh, cause problems so it is not directly beekeeping related, but it is related to you and your beekeeping because spring is here, grass is growing, it's wet, it's moist, and you're out there checking your hives. Other things may be out there checking you out at the same time. <laughs> right? Yeah, you've made a gross little face. <laughs> I can't stand that and scorpions. I don't like either of those two things. So for me bugs that get me and we've talked about this one before roaches i hate roaches um roaches are a no-no for me i i don't i am not so i'm not scared of them i'm 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 very very put off by them like they make my skin crawl but i can go kill them and chase them down i've had friends before i had a friend that almost gave me a black eye over a roach because (laughs) there was one that he saw running and it ran behind something and he was like, get it, get it. And like, he's standing <laughs> over my shoulder and I'm trying to like move things to see where it is. And when I moved one and it ran, he flailed and screamed and he hit me in the head. And I was like, go away. I was like, you're making this so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's like mice. Some people don't like them. <laughs> right. The elephant up on a stool because a little mice ran through. Um, so the other thing that I hate are maggots. And I've told the story before about how I was doing composting and all this and the larva, the Phoenix worm larva, which is the larva from the soldier fly, like they're an alien, strange, creepy looking thing, but they, they didn't gross me out. And then all of a sudden the hive beetle larva got in there and hive beetle larva, especially when they're in dirt, look a lot like a maggot. And I picked a handful of them up and there were just thousands of them all over my hands. And I screamed, (laughs) I was standing there looking like these things dripping off me. I was like, ah. So true maggots from flies, like that that creeps me out too. So if I see that in like in movies or TV or anything like that, I'm like, ugh, you know, like, and then of course, to make it even worse, just the the visual of like something crawling under your skin, literally, like, nope, I'm done. I gotta leave. Like I, I just can't. <laughs> so ticks are very much kind of along this same line. And unfortunately, ever since I have moved out here to the Ozarks, 
holy crap, there are a lot of freaking ticks. And I mean, the whole time I was down in Central Texas, going out there, like on that 40 acres, it's overgrown natural grassland and wildflowers and all that. Granted, I had my bee suit on, but the only thing I would ever come into contact with were chiggers. And yeah, I would get well in the snakes, but that's a whole nother, you know, that's not that, <laughs> that's not an insect creepy crawly. That's a slithery creepy crawly. That's a whole nother. <laughs> I think the, the episode with that one was the slithering. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's the title of that episode. But I had uh, I would every once in a while I would I would get chiggers out there at certain times of the year. So I started spraying the basically the pant legs of my suit with stuff to deter chiggers, which also coincidentally would deter ticks. And right. so I never even had any on me the whole time I was down there in Texas, which was awesome. Come up here and spring, like spring hadn't even started, but it was just starting to kind of warm up and they were already everywhere, everywhere. Wow. So the first day that we did work, out in the one section of the yard, mom was further out there and she was messing around in the leaves and like trying to clear out stuff and everything. She ended up having a tick on her that day. Then we found one the next day and then we found one the next day. And in the sum total of one week, she had five ticks on her in a week. And then I saw one, I was sitting on the back step down where it was gravel and there, I wasn't in an area where you would think there'd be ticks. And I saw something move out of the corner of my eye and I looked down and there was a little nymph tick crawling across my pant leg. And I was like, no, like, that's not even fair. I'm not even out there in the forest. You shouldn't be here. And I have since found two little bitty nymphs on me. And we'll talk about what that is in just a second. Two little bitty suckers, like smaller than a freckle that I was like, what is that? And then I was like, oh God, it's a tick. Um, I found two of those. And I, I just recently went to the dermatologist and won the award for first tick of the season because uh, I was going in for something else. And I went ahead and had him do a full body check and she found a tick and I had just taken a shower and I had been out earlier that day working outside, but I was in a rush and I didn't do a full check. But it's basically every time we go outside and we go out of just the main little front area or the gravel and road area around us. If we go out past that, you come back in, you strip down, you check your body, you do a shower, check your body again, because inevitably there's a tick somewhere. That's so a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And it's way, I, I mean, you might think it sounds overly dramatic, but I, my mind is blown to the point where if you think about it too much, you'll be creeped out and you'll become one of those people that are confined to your house because you're afraid to go outside. Like there's that many freaking ticks out there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Didn't you say that you walk under the trees and they can fall on you? And they you can. Kind of, as long as you're outside, you're basically free game kind of a thing. Yeah, you're you're it's fair game. And when I was building the chicken coop, I, I had put up plastic paneling um, for a roof over one part of the run. And it's a uh, when it's all stuck together, it has like a blue tint to it. But when it's a single panel, it kind of just looks like it's a clear. And I was underneath one of them and I heard just this little tink and I look up. And there's a tick crawling down the plastic that had fallen out of the tree above my head and was walking down the plastic. So what they do is they sense body heat. And mm -hmm. anytime they sense a warm body nearby, they will go for it. They move fast. So there was one on a board. And this, this I yelled, and Kevin thought I was insane. But there was a board laying out there and there was a tick upside down on the board. And I was like, Oh crap, there's a tick right there. Like that one looks like he's dead. And I took my finger and I went to touch it. And immediately, as soon as I made contact, it flipped over and grabbed my finger instantly. And then I was like, ah, and I like shook my hand and then it went flying. <laughs> and he's like, great. Now we can't find it. You know? And I'm like, well, it moved like it moved like out of an alien movie. It shouldn't have done that. Um, I, I just thought face hugger. Cause it was just like, like all of a sudden up out of nowhere. Well, so, and if it's there, there's more. So it doesn't matter if you didn't catch that one. Right, exactly. There's another one that's probably already crawling up your pant leg. That was the 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 distraction, you know, like he was like, hey, look at me while my friend gets you from behind. So, <laughs> so, so I thought it would be prudent. And, and Ken and I, at one point, I couldn't remember if we, I think we carried it over into like a comment on the show in the first or second season. But on Ken's radio show, he and I had a whole thing with ticks. 
And then he brought in a couple of special guests and we started talking about Lyme disease and things like that. But I thought it prudent to go out and, and kind of put this out here for everybody that ticks are a thing. And the more remote you are, the out in the wilderness you are, the more likely it is that you're going to come into contact with them. Um, so here's some interesting, creepy facts oh, <laughs> about yeah. ticks. What are we looking for when we're yeah. So, you know, we, we talk about bees all the time and we talk about how many different species of bees there are and different types of bees in the United States and in the world. And then, you know, we talked, broke it all the way down to Texas. Well, for ticks in the United States, there are roughly 850 different species of ticks that can get out there and get on you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, some of those are things that we never really come across and that's, that's perfectly fine. But there are three very common ticks that we will encounter almost on a daily basis. The first one of those, and probably the most prevalent that people are going to think of and know of, is the brown tick, which is also called the dog tick. And that's because it gets on your dogs. So anytime you've removed a tick from your dog, especially when they get like a fat, white, plump, raisin, gross looking thing, those are all dog ticks. Sorry, those I are, keep doing that. <laughs> no, that's, it's, that's, ugh, yeah, that face is exactly the right face. <laughs> so the dog tick, the brown tick, that's the one you're going to come in common, most common with. Now, the second most common one is going to be the black legged tick, which is also referred to as the deer tick. Oh, yes. Deer that's ticks. That carries diseases, right? Yeah. Deer ticks are where you start getting into the naughty area because deer ticks can carry disease. After the deer tick, the third most common one that you will run into is called the lone star tick. And out of all of them, that one's the nasty, evil little bastard child. <laughs> it's, it's not cool. So the Lone Star Tick has a singular white dot towards its head, but like in the middle of its back. And it doesn't really look like a star. I mean, when you, when you look at it in person, it really just kind of looks like a white dot. But that they call it a Lone Star Tick. And that tick can carry all kinds of diseases. And it's a nasty little booger. So your deer tick and your Lone Star Tick can both carry Lyme disease. Now, Lyme disease is the big nasty one that's out there that it is debilitating and it is not a fun thing for anybody to have. There's all kinds of different types of treatments, but the treatments themselves are very rigorous and kind of overwhelming. It's not a fun thing. And if it flares up, you literally could just be like, I'm not leaving bed. Um, not a fun thing to have to encounter. In addition to that, there's some other ones out there that are, they're, less severe, but still just as common in some instances, you can have Rocky Mountain spotted fever. There is a tick born relapsing fever. There's a tick born rash that is a repetitive rash that comes up on your body from getting tick bites. Um, but there's a new one that just surfaced here a few years ago called alpha gal syndrome and alpha gal syndrome, which also is Coincidentally, transmitted by the freaking Lone Star Tick, oh. alpha-gal syndrome is, alpha-gal is an abbreviation for a type of sugar that comes from red meat proteins. And if you get alpha-gal syndrome from a tick, you become allergic to red meat. So that means oh. no beef, no pork, no lamb, any type of red meat, your body becomes allergic to it and it cannot digest that sugar, but it is a violent allergic reaction. So you get violently ill and sick when you try to consume anything that has that alpha-gal protein strain in it or the sugar strain in it. So those are all bad things and they all come from these creepy little bastards. <laughs> so I was uh, doing some reading while you were describing these and apparently the, the Lone Star Tick also transfers the uh, Southern Tick Associated Rash Illness, Starry. Yeah. 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 So. That's the, that's the one that I was talking about the repetitive rash, which is the tick borne rash. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. And that's Southern quote unquote, guess where you live. You're yeah. in the South. <laughs> so yeah. all of these different ticks, depending on your region, depending on, on what part of the United States you live in, these ticks can carry specific diseases and they are certain diseases are more prevalent in certain regions. Now deer ticks, for instance, are going to be in places where there are a lot of deer. And unfortunately out here for me, there are a lot of deer at any point in time during the night or early morning, you can shine a flashlight out there and it's like little flashes of eyes everywhere because there's deer out there in the forest. Mm -hmm. And 
all of these things allow the deer to well allow the ticks to feed on the deer and then drop off once they've been gorged in blood and then they lay eggs and it becomes this they lay an insane amount of eggs it's kind of like our queen bee it becomes this profuse repopulation of ticks they also repopulate in moist areas well the forest is a constant blanket of leaves and we talked about on one of the other episodes where i moved the top layer the bottom layer literally still had liquid like water, water you said under, under it so that's a 90 percent humidity or higher and that's kind of what they need to thrive in to be able to reproduce so all Perfect the stages set right all the stages set and ticks are everywhere out there so the life stage of a tick they actually have four different life stages they start off as an egg just like our bees do the next stage is called a six-legged larva and it's very small at that stage and i i don't i didn't do enough digging to see that i don't think in the larval stage that it actually feeds on anything blood-wise with us it's just going through a developmental phase it's when it develops over into the eight-legged nymph. That's the third stage of development. That's the stage that a lot of times you're going to get a disease from the tick. Primarily because they're so freaking small, you can overlook them. The last stage of development is the adult stage, and that's the one that you know we all think of when we actually see the tick itself. Now, for the diseases, there, here's the upside, and this is why you have to be very diligent about checking your body, cleaning, putting on deterrence, things like that. For certain diseases, especially like Lyme disease, the nymph is more times than not the one that's going to give you the disease because it's going to be the one that's small enough that it gets overlooked, but it must be on your body for 36 to 48 hours to successfully transmit the disease. So if you're very diligent and you check yourself every day when you're out doing something like that, and you make sure that if you find one, it's removed immediately, you're severely reducing the risk of getting a tick-borne disease or illness from yourself. So right. that's that's why it sounds so insane. Like we go outside, I work on the chicken coop, or we go do this, I come back home, you strip down, check yourself, take a shower, take a bath, you know, whatever. And there are different things out there that you can use that will also help deter them to either keep them from getting on you or sometimes encourage them to release and want to get away from you. Um, tea tree is a natural thing that can be used for that oh, purpose. So you can do like a tea tree soap or tea tree oil, shampoo, body wash, and bathe with that. And that also kind of helps. But everything you can do to help out is going to be just that much better for you, especially if you're in an area like me where there's an insane amount of ticks at the moment. So you can also go through, you can do things to help alleviate the potential of ticks. If you have a wood pile that is on the ground, move it away from an area so that it's not in an area where you're very active, elevate it off the ground, put a couple of pallets underneath it, and then restack the wood on that. So it allows airflow Dry underneath it, it yeah. reduces the humidity, allows there to not be a perfect place for the ticks to reproduce. If you have leaves, clear them out. If you have tall grass, cut it short. Anything you can do to reduce the amount of humidity, the amount of moisture in an area is going to help reduce the amount of ticks in that area. Now, they also like rock walls, like stacked stone walls that don't necessarily have the mortar in it. They like to get in there as well, and they can reproduce in those areas. They make tick sticks, which you can stick inside the crevices of these things. And if the tick comes into contact with it, it will kill it because it has permethrin. Oh, so that is a poison that gets it is head. a very bad poison. And the CDC, that is the number one thing that the CDC recommends to combat ticks is permethrin. And we bought a can, a spray can of it that you could use, like if you wanted to coat it on your jeans and you had like a specific pair of shoes or something that you were going to wear to go outside, you can coat your clothing in this stuff and then you have to let it dry. But permethrin itself is so bad that you almost need to be wearing eye goggles and a face mask and have your skin completely covered up and wear gloves when you're coating the clothing that you're going to wear. And then you need to let that clothing dry before you put it on. And then once you got it on, you can go out there and you can do your stuff and you can just have that set of boots and those set of pants every time you're outside or like a big brimmed hat that helps from them falling from above. You can coat that hat. But if you've coated this stuff and you had to take all these precautions to put it on you, now we kind of get into that realm of like regular beekeeping versus natural beekeeping. And should I use these chemicals or should I not? And what's it going to do? Because yes, permethrin will kill the tick, 
but it's also highly toxic and it should not come into contact with your skin, but yet you've just coated your clothing in it, which is going to be then setting on your skin. And so right. then it raises lots of questions to me. Well, if it's hot and humid outside and I'm sweating, is that going to reliquify the stuff in the clothes? And then it's going to be um, like absorbed into the skin. skin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like what is, I haven't done enough research into it to know, but when you read the cautions and the danger on the label, you're like, well, I don't want to use that. So our, our can, our spray can is still unopened. It still has the seal around that the top be my can. <laughs> because I'm like, like, I, I'm afraid to use this stuff. Like I'm afraid of the ticks, but I'm more afraid of this crap. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and what is my alternative poison myself? Right. Hey, you didn't get really? Lyme disease, but you did get cancer. Sorry. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I think I would go with a diluted uh, coconut oil with, um, some tea tree oil and kind of slather myself before yeah. I go out. So there, there are other things out there that are, like you said, kind of homeopathic. There are different sprays that they have come up with, just like they have for mosquitoes that you can use that are completely natural, completely safe. They can be essential used on oils. you, on pets, essential oils. Um, they've done them in like aerosol versions so that it can spray a fine mist and you can coat your clothing and that kind of stuff. And that does help reduce the chance of ticks getting on you. The other thing that you do is wear long pants, loose pants, and tuck them into your boots. So your boots are on the outside of your pants. That helps so that if one does get on you, they have to climb up the outside of your clothing instead of inside your pant leg where they can immediately right. get access to your skin. To your skin. So you keep them on the outside of you. You keep these repellents on you to help keep them away. And then still, even after you've done all those things, you come inside, strip down, do a full head to toe body check, check your hair, check all the parts where your body and your skin may crease or overlap or something was tight against you, waistbands, things like that, bra strap lines, you name it, check right. all these places and make sure that there's not a tick on you. If you have a partner, have your partner help you look. Right. Even if it looks like it's a freckle, take Dude. your fingernail or a pair of tweezers and see if you can flip it over because they, they anchor in head first into your skin. And that means their body's just loose. They're not hanging on. You can flip them like a tag, basically. Right, right, right. So if it's a freckle, it's not going to move. It's, it's going to be smooth with the skin kind of thing. But if, it, if there's a bump or a hard shell, look closely, get a magnifying glass. If it's got legs, you got a problem. <laughs> just talking to you, I'm getting, you know, creepy <laughs> right. crawlies, yeah. just kind of finding myself all itchy and, and just kind of like, <laughs> Yep. Pretty much. Um, so, in uh, you know, long story short, that is kind of the thing that that is out there that goes unseen that can cause drastic problems for you. And while you're checking your beehives, that's kind of the perfect environment for them to be lurking and waiting, especially if it's not in your own yard, if it's left out in a wild environment that you've let the grasses grow tall so that you can have lots of wildflowers and stuff. That's the perfect place for the ticks. So be very careful. The more livestock there are around in that area, the more chance of ticks there's going to be um, reducing the livestock in the area. So one of the things for us, like we're trying to figure out how we can help ourselves here. One of the things for us is if we can deter the deer from coming directly onto our property, that will reduce the amount of ticks because it reduces the transportation and the food source. Right. So that will help out with that part. The other things, unfortunately, like we don't really have a wood pile and the, the whole forest is just leaves. Like we can go through and we can try to clear out our area and move those leaves back. That's going to be a hell of an undertaking because it was an entire day process just to clear all the leaves from one path on the side of the house. Cause I mean, we're, we're talking like, forest bed of a foot plus of just leaves sometimes in places. Um, but you can clear all those out and then using the natural deterrence, things like that. I could also let the chickens free range and that will help reduce it a little bit, but it also re like drastically increases the chances of me having less chickens. So I'm doing some rating based on other natural ways you can uh, use to um, decrease the amount of ticks in your area. And you've mentioned some of them, but how about letting your chickens roam free? That's, that's what I was just saying, free ranging the chickens. Now, right. the downside with that is, yes, you can reduce the ticks, but you increase the chances of a hawk or a coyote or a fox <laughs> eating your chickens. 
And I do have a hawk that comes through at least once a week and flies over the coop or lands on one of the branches and all the chickens freak out and they all run and hide and the hawks just sit up there taunting them. Um, but yes, you can let them free range. So if you're in town or if you're in an area where, you know, there, there's not as many predators nearby, um, you can definitely let them free range and it will help reduce the amount of ticks out there. And I've thought about it and I'm seriously considering it. The only downside, it depends on like if the chickens are contained or not. So free ranging certain birds, the heavier they are, the less likely it is for them to fly over three foot. So you could put like a little three foot picket fence around the area you want them to free range and they're not going to really get away. That doesn't mean other things like the hawk or an owl or something can't swoop in and grab them. But if you don't have anything to contain them, they're going to go wherever they want to. And they may go towards your nice, fresh, succulent shoots of all your baby plants that are coming up and devour and, your garden and dig and, and yeah it. Yes. yes so that's the other downside and at the moment with spring here just literally breaking through the ground uh my family would murder me if i let the chickens eat all of our baby plants that we're waiting <laughs> on coming up <laughs> that have worked so hard on getting started <laughs> yeah 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 so we're 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 kind of at a stalemate with that one it's a coin toss i really want to at some point the oldest chickens, I could let them free range because they very much know where home is. And I know that they they wouldn't come back until nightfall, but they would come back and they would go back to their roost. The other chickens are still newer and they're being rotated through different pins and sections and, and coops. So they wouldn't. If I let them out to free range, I would have to go find them later and carry them <laughs> back to their coop and be like, this is where you're supposed to be. So but we're, we're getting there. That may be a task later this summer where I can let some of them out and maybe at least minimize the exposure also because I let out small groups at a time. Right. Yeah. If you can't tell, I have a lot of chickens. They have, they have multiplied quickly. <laughs> yeah. It was like you had none and all of a sudden there were plenty. <laughs> yeah. We went from nine to 18 because I raised and hatched nine more over the winter. So as of March, uh, well, basically the first day of spring, those nine were outside, which doubled it up to 18. And I got rid of two roosters at one point and then turned around and ended up having, um, I took five more this weekend and we, we did a chicken road trip. I took five, it was two roosters and three hens. I drove them up into Southern Missouri and dropped them off at one place. And then I went to two other places and picked up seven more chickens. So that, that didn't really balance it out, but it's, it's okay, growing. So <laughs> how about having a, a coop with just roosters? Cause you know, when you go to the tractor supplier, the, the, the store to get, you know, uh, chickens, sometimes they're not sex. And then yeah. you end up with 30 to 60% of roosters. What about, you know, separating them and, letting the roosters free range you don't care if the hawks get those <laughs> i mean it's that's brutal but <laughs> that's that's a harsh sentiment at the end of that but it's absolutely <laughs> completely plausible and you can do that if you completely separate the roosters from the hens you can actually raise roosters that don't fight with each other because they will establish their own pecking order and they're not fighting over the hens or trying to say, this is my territory. So you can actually have a pin with a coop that's all roosters and let those roosters out to do free ranging. Um, yes, that is a definite possibility. And that, that could very well work um, at the moment. And it's not going to stay this way, but at the moment I have the original rooster that came with the flock when I bought the property. He's still here. He has just been usurped by a new rooster that I picked up last week, which was an AM Samani, solid black, black feathers, black meat, black Ooh, skin, black organs, beautiful. black eyes. They're, they're crazy, creepy, like goth punk rock chickens. Really? Um, I picked up one of those. He is just barely a year old and he has been, I think it was about a week that he was next to that other coop where the two roosters could see each other and they really didn't pay any attention to each other whatsoever. And then when we brought in this other flock on Saturday and put them in, I had to then migrate and shift and move chickens down, which meant all the babies now have to be integrated in with the main flock, which that went fairly well, minus the two roosters. Suddenly yeah. that little one-year-old decided he was going to take on the big daddy rooster that has been in that coop the whole time. Ooh, and he kicked vicious. his ass. <laughs> yeah, that rooster, the big rooster 
has spurs that I kid you not are like three inches long, like big old death daggers. And that little rooster that doesn't even have spurs still kicked his butt. Oh, wow. To the point where I had to separate them. And I was a little bit shocked because again, they had lived literally with just a fence separating them so they can see each other. They can hear each other. And they, they didn't really fight, try to fight through the fence or nothing. So I was like, ah, you know, this should be okay. And he's young. So it shouldn't be a problem. Nope. That was a problem. Um, but now that I've got that in there, so there's those two. And then I just brought home three additional roosters. Plus I still have one rooster that I hatched over the winter. Oh, fun. Yes. So I still have plenty of roosters, but the goal is going to ultimately be that one of them is going to end up being, um, well, flock rooster. one of each breed is going to be a breeding rooster for that specific breed. So when it comes time to actually raise chickens of a certain type or color or class, I can put them into one of the enclosures together and know that that's going to be just those genetics. And then after that fact, yeah, you know, if you're not breeding them for specific things, colors of eggs or colors of chickens or lineages, then it doesn't matter. You just need one, one rooster per every 10 to 12 hens, basically. So, but that is a great idea. And I, I am continually building and expanding on this monstrosity out here. Uh, You're going to be the, the chicken. Yeah. (laughs) The giant chicken palace that's growing out the backside of the property. Um, I'm going to, I will have the space where I can do that. I could, I could start segregating roosters over into their own little place, introduce them with each other slowly over time and and let them be there. And uh, and then have a forage forest of roosters. (laughs) It's funny because you got into beekeeping and it became an addiction and you got into chicken. It's becoming an addiction. So you have a problem, my friend. <laughs> if you if you rewind back in time, I got the bees first. I think yes, I got the bees first, and I had permission to have the bees there at the house and everything. And I started building the pond and the waterfall and the stream and everything so that bees would have a water source. Then, like maybe a few months later, came chickens, mm-hmm. and I had chickens there as well. And one of my friends joked at one point in time that I should start teaching classes and we would call it the birds and the bees. Uh And it would be like homesteading classes where we talked about chicken keeping and beekeeping and like different homesteading type things. And so that was just kind of funny and coincidental. But then as time went on and I moved from that place, I couldn't take the chickens. So the chickens went out to the farm and that is like, you know, ever since then, I've been like, man, I miss my chickens. I really want chickens. So when we saw this property and it had chickens, I was like, done. <laughs> but I've, I've already, I've already taken what was there and like multiply it tenfold, <laughs> blown it completely out of proportion. Um, the, 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 the coop was an old rickety shack that basically they pieced together with reclaimed lumber from like pallets. And it had a little storage shed on the side of it. I have completely rebuilt the storage shed, made it twice the size. I'm working on expanding and doing properly the actual coop itself. Plus, I've built a brand new coop on the backside. There's three separate enclosures that are properly fence posts with actual wire, not just chicken wire fence, but actually like hardware cloth wire fence. Um, And then we're kind of quadrupling the size of the run and adding another addition out on the opposite end of the run. So it makes like a big L where there can be another enclosure pin where I can have it all open or I can section things off for anything, oh, wow. you know, if you need to That's segregate intense. or breeding. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's legit. And I've driven around like there's the lady down the hill that owns the 300 acres behind us. She has some chickens down there. And I thought this up here was just like a, a shit show of uh, afterthought construction. Apparently it's the norm because <laughs> <laughs> hers looks pretty much the same only on a much larger scale. So, uh, my, my chicken coop and everything out here is going to be pretty damn fancy for the right. reason. <laughs> Sounds like you're investing a lot of effort and thinking into it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Time and money. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> well, especially now with the price of materials. Oh God. Yeah. Then no, that's, it's been ridiculous. The shed expansion and some of the other stuff, every time I would go in and buy more lumber, it kept going up and it was, yeah, we don't want to put a dollar value on what I've done because you'd have heart failure. <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> like, let's just ignore that. <laughs> if you equated it over into how many beehives I could have built for that same amount of money, I would be right back where I was in Austin. <laughs> this is where you start with Taba hives because it's cheaper, right? Remember, <laughs> you can put two in one. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I do have actually the pieces to build the Taba hive. I've already got the main sections cut. I haven't cut the boards, but I'm saving that so that we can do the video but I keep not doing the video because I keep screwing with all the chicken stuff. But right. the chickens have given me a project in the interim where there were no bees. So see how right. that- Right, it's a, it's a stopgap measure. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, I priced when we first started doing the Taba Hives, it was about $30 worth of uh, brand new materials and wood and, and, and metal roof and all stuff per hive where you could put two colonies. Well, now with all the price of lumbers that has double, almost triple in some- um, I calculated it this week and it's about $70. So it is just reflected in the increase of the price of lumber. It's still cheaper than buying Langstroth equipment, um, right. especially since you can put two, but anyway. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. Like you said, if you split it and you do a four foot hive and you do two four foot colony sections and, or sorry, two two foot colony sections inside the four foot hive, well, now you've got two beehives for the price of that $70, $75 range. Right. And that's not that bad. Um, the other aspect of that too, though, is like when you do your Langstroth stuff, that first kit is about $150 and that's just the bottom board, the first box, the frames, the inner cover and the roof. Right. It's not planning for any expansion and you need to factor in a minimum of $20 per box. If you're going to build it yourself, $50 if it's already frame. assembled and it comes with frames. So mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it just goes from there. So $250, $300 when it's all said and done for an entire colony of multiple boxes, multiple frames, or it just gets expensive. $75 yeah. for raw lumber and chop it up the way you need it. it, it yeah. It gets really expensive. By the way, um, I finally took pictures of our hinged roof and our, what I call deluxe roof. That's kind of like a very open vertical kind of a thing. Uh, and, and so people, if people are interested in different style of easy to make, uh, cheap to make uh, roofs that are better than the just metal corrugated roof that you um, uh, tighten over the hive, they're on the website now. So you can take a look. Very cool. We had one of the listeners go through and actually use your guys's plans to build one of the top bars and they did the the wooden roof instead of the metal right. roof on it. And it's got the hinges. Um, he sent pictures of it. I'll forward them over to you. It's that gorgeous. Is, he did oh, wood burning awesome. and then stained it and it's fancy. It's very pretty. Well, I'm excited to see all those. Uh, and, and, you know, we have people building them in Australia as yeah. well with our plans. So that's really fantastic. I'm thrilled to see them getting built all over the country in the U S and across, you know, the world basically. I'm just excited. Yeah, it's it's great actually. The um, in the episode where we were talking about the the wax challenge, and I mentioned the lady that I thought should have known the answer that didn't. Right. She did make a comment in that presentation though about how it was really interesting that down here, quote unquote, in Central Texas, because that's where she was doing the presentation at the time, um, that we were able to do a lot of top bar hives but it mm -hmm. made sense to her because it's a warmer climate. She comes from New York and it's not that big of a deal up there because they have colder climates and it's not as conducive as she said to that temperate area. I still counter that though, because we know full well that there's multiple people out there that are doing it. There's even one lady out there on Instagram that that's her whole thing. And she's from Massachusetts. So she's further right. up than New York and all she does is top bar hives. So it's all and, about insulation, windbreaks, right. you know, making sure that that you've prepped them for the best scenario. And if you're using the two inch thick lumber, that's getting an even bigger head start right there than if you're using obviously the three quarter inch. So yeah. Exactly, it's twice as insulated and that horizontal configuration is much more efficient than that chimney effect that you get with the vertical hive. So actually I think they would do a lot better. Uh, we've got James that we had on the natural beekeeping corner a couple months ago that's uh, making the uh, two inch lumber um, last crowder style hives and he's gonna he's in Michigan. So he's gonna tell us how he likes them as well and how they well they overwinter in Michigan. <laughs> there you go. So you got Michigan, you got Massachusetts, Right. Very far northern states with very different winters from us and even different from each other. 
Right. Michigan is going to have a lot more of them polar vortexes and massive blasts right. like cold air coming through and wind and Massachusetts, you know, cold and a lot of snow, but I don't necessarily know about the wind portion of that. So, but I again, need to get Canadians building them. Yeah. I need to yeah. get Canadians building them as well. Yeah. The, the, I'm still just dumbfounded in Canada though. The, the actual way that the one beekeeper that I, where did I go? Um, my brain went blank. Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. I think I was in Saskatchewan. I don't remember now. Um, it's due North, like straight up. And anyhow, so they overwintered in their Langstroths almost exactly like how we would in central Texas, minus the fact of the insulation, but they had a deep and a medium and that was it. They didn't have like, you know, double deeps or three deeps. Well, or... I think that would be counterproductive to have them too tall in the winter. Again, right. that shipping effect would be a problem. Yeah. And the, but my thought was like the food stores, you know, you hear some of those estimates, oh, you need 150 pounds of honey to make it through the winter. And I'm like, they got a medium. That's like 40 pounds of honey. That's not, it's not 150 pounds of honey. And it's, it's they had not- massive insulation around them. So they stayed nice and toasty. They didn't need to burn that much energy. So they're not going through that much food. Look, a honey production and consumption of energy is always going to be linked to the amount of energy they've got to expend to either keep themselves warm, keep themselves cool, uh, feed their young, anything that you do that's going to take energy away from them to maintain homeostasis is going to be paid in honey, is going to be paid in uh, losses in the winter. That's true. And there you go. With that, we have touched on honeybees, so we've hit our quota and we've talked, right. about, <laughs> we've talked we about all the different things. <laughs> Creepy crawly ticks, chickens, bees, it's all in here. <laughs> That's right. All those animals we love and hate. Love and hate or love to hate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you uh, joining us on this creepy crawly little discussion and episode. And uh, I look forward to talking to everybody again next week. But we will we will call this good. Um, I, I kind of like you. I feel like I need to go like scrub off now. I feel like things are crawling on me. (laughs) So so anyhow, thank you everybody for tuning in. We look forward to talking to you again soon, but until then be good and be mindful. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you, and we appreciate your support to all our Hive Jive junkies out there. You truly are the bee's knees.